This is QJ Martin, and you're listening to the Write a Novel podcast, providing you with the tools and instructions that you need to write your novel. Taiki Waititi's first directorial credit in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor Ragnarok, was met with near-universal praise on the part of fans and critics alike. It's safe to say that expectations for his follow-up adventure, Thor Love and Thunder, were fairly high. Unfortunately, upon release, most viewers found it to be inferior in almost every way. Personally, I believe that Ragnarok and Love and Thunder suffer from many of the same problems, the only difference being that in the case of the former, most viewers were so excited to finally see an exciting Thor movie that they glossed over the majority of its flaws. But either way, there is a significant amount of fixing that could have been done to turn Thor Love and Thunder into a solid entry in both the Thor franchise and the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. That being said, this is going to be the first video in a three-part series outlining the steps I would take to fix Thor Love and Thunder. Step 1. Depict the evolution of Gore's motivations more fully. Gore has absolutely fantastic motivations in this film, but unfortunately, he goes from 0 to 60 pretty quickly so that we can, you know, have more time for Thor to pour beer all over his axe. There are a few things that could have helped Gore stand out as an absolutely top-tier Marvel villain, all of which would have been amped up to 11 by the amazing Christian Bale. Now we know that Gore has good reason to be angry with his own god. That is extremely clear, and he was no doubt severely disillusioned with the concept of deities as a whole. But the movie doesn't really give Gore any indication to believe that all gods are like this. For all he knows, he could have just lucked out with the only terrible god in the universe. Of course, we could just say that Gore, in his grief, jumps to the conclusion that all gods are terrible. But there's actually a fairly simple way to fix this so that there's no question as to why he believes this to be the case. He just stabbed his god, and as the god topples to his knees, Gore is like, you are not a real god. The god spits out a stream of golden blood as he taunts him. You think any of the other gods are better than me? The god of your sworn enemy started the thousand-year war that devastated your planet because he thought the squeaking sound his subjects made when they died was funny. <laughs> okay, so it was pretty funny. And then, Gore, furious that his god and the god of his enemy race actually caused the terrible events that led to the extinction of life on their planet, all for their own amusement, lops off his head and swears to execute all gods starting with the other god of his planet. Step 2. Take time to show some legitimate god-butchering. The villain of any given movie may not be the main character, but in a successful movie, they are the most iconic character. Hannibal Lecter, the Joker, and Darth Vader all cast long shadows over their hero counterparts. That's because those movies took the time to fully flesh out and realize those villains as their own characters, not just an obstacle in the way of the hero achieving his or her goal. 
Thor Love and Thunder would have been much better off by showing us a lot more of Gore the God Butcher than we actually got. It would have been fantastic if we had the opportunity to see him getting to know his own weapon and how it works. It would have been awesome to see him traverse the Shadow Realm for the very first time. It would have been so cool to see him actually hunt down some gods, plot their extermination, and then carry it out, becoming more efficient with each kill, while likewise becoming more disillusioned with gods as a whole as he sees their pathetic, selfish, and self-centered acts to try to save their own lives. Finally, he's fully convinced that there isn't a single good god in existence, even though we, as the audience, know that this is incorrect on principle. Gore's godslaying would reach a climax with his epic battle against Falagar the Behemoth, who Thor describes as being extremely peaceful. So in this situation, the god doesn't want to hurt Gore. It would be a lot like the situation with the space whales in Avatar The Way of Water. But once he does decide to start defending himself, well, things start to get real. It's at this point that Gore learns how to summon shadow monsters to aid him in his slaying of the giant. Maybe he even summons them by stabbing the sword in the creature's own back and having them seep out of it. By the time Gore faces Thor for the first time, we have ample reason to believe that it's going to be an even pairing. And after Gore gets in a few good hits that cause Thor's golden blood to splatter, we really believe that Thor is in danger and it's going to take all of his skill and training to stay out of the reach of the Necrosword and avoid being butchered by it. Step 3. Change the reason Jane receives the hammer. There are two problems with the way Jane obtained the hammer in this movie. First and foremost, there has never been any indication before this film that either of these two god weapons were sentient. Unfortunately, Taiki Waititi does like to play fast and loose with the lore of how the hammer works, considering it was in Thor Ragnarok that Hela stopped it dead in its track and blasted it into a thousand tiny pieces. But even if the weapons are both sentient, the second problem becomes even more prominent, which is that Thor asking the hammer to keep Jane safe is just such a vague request. Even if the hammer was a genius, there could be so many different interpretations of what Thor meant by that that I have no idea how the hammer would actually know what to do. On top of all of that, in the long run, the hammer ends up killing Jane faster than the cancer alone would have done, which happens to be the exact opposite of what Thor requested of it. So even if the hammer is sentient and understood Thor's request, it also kind of sucked at its job. I think it would have been better to simply see Jane exhaust all possible traditional human treatments for her cancer. Having tried everything there is to try, she decides to take a trip to New Asgard, not because the hammer summoned her, but because she figured they might have a method of treatment that was beyond that of Earth science. That's when we find out that Jane is worthy of wielding Mjolnir. She didn't just get it because of a loophole that her boyfriend set up for her. And we see that if there's no cure for her, she wants to use what little life she has left to help others in whatever ways she possibly can. She deserves this power. And we get to see her very first transformation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Write a Novel Podcast. 
If you'd like to read the transcript of this episode, you can find it at thewriterseverything.org slash transcripts. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're currently listening on, and be sure to give it a rating while you're at it to let me know what you think of the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash qjmartin. For your convenience, all the referenced links will also be in the show notes. Thank you.